Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Inner Healing After Narcissistic Abuse podcast. My name is Jasmine, your host, and today we're going to be talking all about understanding the cycle of emotional abuse. Now, I believe this is one of the most fundamental pieces of information that we need to learn when we are learning about narcissistic abuse and narcissistic abuse recovery because one of the biggest problems with leaving an abusive relationship or person is that we don't understand the fact that we're actually in an abuse pattern or cycle. And when we don't understand that, we're not understanding or making sense of the patterns and the repetitiveness of this cycle, right? So when we're looking at the cycle of abuse, it's a three-phase cycle and it starts with the idolization or honeymoon period. Uh, then we have the devaluation um, period uh, or phase, I should say, and then we have the discard. So as the different names of the phases suggest, we've got a a you know a high, a love bombing, an idolization, you know, a phase where things are amazing. Then we have a phase where things start to progress and change and as I go into the explanation of each phase you'll see how things start to deteriorate and fall apart. Now because of the cycle and the repetitiveness of it um, many people will learn that or experience that you know this this cycle is is ongoing it's continue it's it's a continuation and it's one of the reasons why we find it so hard to leave. We don't understand that, you know, we have the great times, then we start to have problems and then, you know, the breakdown of the relationship um, and possibly, you know, the actual end of a relationship when then we kind of come back around and we start the whole process again. Now, learning to track your the cycle, if you're still in the relationship, may be really important and and will just help you get an idea of where you're at. I think intuitively when we're going through the cycle, we kind of know when we're, you know, when, when the next phase is in that transition, when we're kind of moving from one to the other. Obviously, there's a big build up, um, you know, a great high, and then eventually there'll be this crash and come down. And that is where that devaluation and discarding comes into. So with the idolization, um, this, like I mentioned, is the love bombing phase. It's also known as the honeymoon phase. You know, as the name suggests, at the beginning of the relationship, everything is amazing. Now, for many of us, it's actually quite extreme on the, you know, obviously on the positive side, but we experience um, a lot of love, attention, um, admiration, you know, praise, love, affection, energy, time together, presence, um, you know, holidays, just an absolute bombard bombardment of energy and love and attention, everything that we're basically looking for, right, in a relationship. Now, because for many of us, this experience or this phase, especially at the, the very beginning of the relationship, is so extreme, what we don't come to realize or understand for, for a long time until we kind of educate ourselves is the fact that we, 
we don't understand that this is not sustainable. You know, uh, the narcissist will be telling you what you want to hear. They'll mirror our deepest needs and desires, our hobbies and our interests. So this is really the inquiry phase of the relationship or of, you know, even of the cycle of abuse. And this mirroring and understanding of what we're actually looking for comes from the narcissist asking us lots of questions about ourselves. Now, this will, you know, we'll find it really endearing, we'll find it really exciting, you know, we'll find it really, you know, just, yeah, like we're really grateful for the fact that someone is paying so much attention to us. So we we may not recognize that this is actually where they will try and find out our vulnerabilities too, you know. They'll ask you about your childhood, your past relationships, your fears, you know, and it might be really full on, but like I said, because we're experiencing all of this energy and love and attention and affection um, and the fact that it's mis- um, mixed with this uh, inquiry about our life and who we are, that we just think that this person is just so into us that we're, you know, they want to know everything about us. And therefore, you know, we may really let our guard down and we may not recognize the fact that this is actually where we give them a handbook to how to abuse us. Now that is really, really powerful and really important to understand for the future too, because when we're looking to break the cycle of toxic relationships and, you know, attract more healthy partners, we want to make sure that, you know, we learn how to build trust and respect with someone and that, there is also respect that has to be earned and trust that has to be earned. We don't just let down our boundaries and our walls and let this person in completely without there being some sort of, you know, some sort of check or, you know, managing how much you're actually sharing. So as I mentioned in this phase, while everything's going amazing, There'll be a lot of inquiry to figure out what your weaknesses and insecurities are. And like I said, they'll use this to keep you hooked. And this will become very apparent when the relationship starts to become abusive. Now this, like I mentioned, is because this phase is not sustainable. So while they're giving you all this energy and affection and love and attention, then they know deep down, even if it's unconsciously, that that is not going to be sustainable. And there is a level of idolization that they have within you, you know, this fascination and this, you know, new shiny toy concept where they just want to know everything about you and they think you're amazing. Um, But there's also this, this sense of idolization within themselves for the fact that, that they're so obsessed with the fact that they found you. So they're actually um, idolizing themselves and, and this is where, you know, the personality disorder of narcissism and those traits really come through. Uh, so we have to remember that as with anything, you know, that new shiny toy, that phase wears off and both part parties will show their true colors. And that's not to say that, you know, you're being fake at the beginning of a relationship, but obviously we want to kind of put our best foot forward and show the really great parts of ourselves. 
And while that's not sustainable for the narcissist, it's also not sustainable for us. So as we start to share more about ourselves and they share about themselves, you know, we start to break down those walls and those barriers and eventually as time goes on we you know we become more comfortable we kind of go back into old patterns and habits and in that relationship you know we start to see more of who each other are and as we kind of get to the end of this phase we start to get closer to the the boundary testing and this is where the narcissist will you know, start to misbehave or, you know, issues start to come up, um, you know, bad behavior shows up and all of a sudden you're starting to recognize that, hang on, things are not quite right. Now, you may not understand or realize in the moment of what's actually happening, but you know that something just doesn't feel quite right. And at this point is where the narcissist will start to hook into those fears and wounds that you have. And for me, to give you an example, was my sense of rejection and abandonment and how, you know, how fearful I was of that. Uh, and I'd had a previous relationship where I was rejected and just abandoned, you know, without any notice. And, you know, I had kind of brought that up in conversation as we were getting to know each other. So, that was a really big vulnerability on my part. Now, you know, being who I am and being open, I thought that I was safe to share that. But unfortunately, I didn't recognize um, the issues and, you know, who this this person was. And, and unfortunately, at the hands of a narcissist, they're going to do everything to hold that against you and to kind of almost threaten you with, with whatever your wounding is. So as we kind of transition from that idolization phase to the devaluation, this is where the tension starts to build. The dynamics of the relationship starts to shift. Now you may feel that if you're really sensitive, you may feel that energetic shift. I remember myself having this one particular experience where, you know, my, the narcissist was sharing some information with me and kind of opening up about some things and, you know, they were really big red flags to me and I actually physically felt it in my body and I thought, oh, that just does not feel good at all. But I just couldn't recognize um, that red flag. And when I kind of shared my concerns about the experience and what was basically happening, um, I was shut down. And, you know, that was basically the beginning of the devaluation for me. Now, I believe it's really important to kind of start to track, if you're still in the relationship, start to track how long each cycle is and really become aware of what you're experiencing. So for me, and I think for many women whose stories I've heard and who I've coached, have recognized that that idolization phase is roughly three months on average, maybe up to six or nine months on the extreme, but really between the three or six month mark. And then things really start to go downhill. So as we enter that devaluation phase and we've experienced this change in dynamic, um, we may notice that the narcissist will withdraw from the relationship, whether that's emotionally and or physically. Um, they may actively provoke you in the hope that you'll react and give them more attention. You know, there's a lot of positive attention 
um, in that idolization phase. Not only are they idolizing us, we're kind of idolizing them. Like we're thinking, wow, this is all so amazing. You know, this is everything that we've ever dreamed of. And when we start to notice, notice, um, these issues in the relationship, in the devaluation phase, we may start to also pull them up on their behavior and we may, you know, try and talk to them about what, what is going on and the issues that they're bringing to the table. And they don't like that because there's a level of control and power that they lose. So in order for them to basically regain that, that control and power, they're going to basically dictate the way in which the relationship goes. And once there's negative behavior or, um, you know, like I said, where you're kind of bringing up things that are issues that you've recognized in the relationship and you're trying to, you know, healthily communicate and discuss these, um, they may self-sabotage and actually make these uh, situations worse. And therefore they may you know, actively provoke you and actually criticize or attack you. And, you know, not only is going to, is that going to activate your core wounds, um, and pain, but it's also, you know, it gives them supply. It gives them emotional supply that they feed on, you know, that they basically use to energize themselves with. And that's why we, you know, you may have heard of that, the, the energy or emotional vampire, because they really do suck the living life out of you. So when the, uh, the narcissist uh, no longer receives the positive interaction from you, uh, they'll be, you know, they'll be looking for that negative feedback or energy and they would rather have that than nothing at all. And so that is why they'll then basically turn to that negative attention and energy um, as a backup. So that's why you may feel like, you know, they're actively provoking and kind of creating drama, um, you know, with those interactions with you. Now, also in this phase, you start to realize that words, you know, their words, what they're saying and their actions are not actually matching up. And, and like I said, you try and call them out on their behavior and discuss what's going on. And like I said, this is where the, the drama really starts to unfold. And the more that you try and pull them up on their behavior and what's actually happening is you're devaluing them in a way. Uh, now you're obviously trying to do that from uh, a point of view of actually trying to work on the relationship and fix things. The way they see it is that you're basically criticizing and attacking them. Now, nothing could be worse than you criticizing or attacking a narcissist. They're very fragile and have a really poor sense of self to the point where we know that they will actually hurt other people to make themselves feel better because, it, like I said, it's this level of power and control that they need um, to make themselves feel good and like feel like they're actually in control of their life and other people. So they will be on the attack and constantly devalue you. So this is where they might start to call you names or lie or manipulate. Um, there might be projection or gaslighting or manipulation, all of those things in there. And when they're on that attack, they're coming from the mentality of, well, I'm going to hurt you before you even have a chance to hurt me. 
So when they're already coming from that place, it's going to be very hard to actually communicate or talk to them or reason with them in any way. And this is really the the pattern and trouble that we fall into when trying to reconcile and work on issues. We don't understand why they're negatively reacting and why they don't seem to have those coping skills or abilities to communicate and work through issues. So we may continue to do that until the relationship deteriorates even more. Now, this cycle, this part of the cycle can really vary. Um, I've found personally that as the relationship goes on and things escalate and things progress, you'll actually start to go through all three phases of that cycle quicker every time. Um, So depending on the level of compliance uh, that you're giving, so the less devaluation, the less that you're talking about issues, the less that you're doing, you know, any of that criticism and that critical behavior um, the less or I guess the longer the devaluation phase may continue you may even kind of fall back into more of that idolization phase but generally it will start to start to escalate and you start to like go from that positive communication and you know experiences with the narcissist and you know they them escalating to more toxic Um, you know, abusive behavior. During this phase, you may also experience, um, you know, this idea of, you know, they're feeding you little bits of hope. They're feeding you little breadcrumbs of attention, promises for the future, and that is all there to give you hope for the future. And that is another thing that will keep you hooked into the abuse. So, you know, being really aware of this phase in particular is going to be really important for you, whether you're in the relationship still or trying to get out or already are out, um, because this understanding this is going to help you in the future in any new relationship. The more that you start, start to see the patterns and the cycles, the more that, you know, you're going to be able to actually walk away from these relationships and continue to build more, you know, and attract healthier relationships for yourself. Um, and you're not going to stay in the, in these relationships for as long as you previously have. So the discard phase can be the complete end of a relationship, or for many of us, it is the beginning of, um, the backwards and forwards, um, the energetic power um, shifts between yourself and the narcissist so this will be the point in which they may block you or ignore you Um, it may be where you break up for a period of time and then you get back together now we'll talk about hoovering and getting hooked back into that cycle in a moment but um, what's really important to understand is that in this phase you know whether you're living with them or not there's going to be, again, a level of power and control that the narcissist is trying to dictate. And so depending on how bad the devaluation was, the discard is going to be kind of according to that. Um, Now, it's like an addiction, not only for us, but also for the narcissist. The first time where they discard you, that, that high and that power that they're going to Feel from making that choice and taking that action is going to be really, really powerful, really strong. So as much as we're kind of 
wanting things to go back to the way they were at the beginning of the relationship they will also be you know they're feeding off this high of kind of cutting you off and knowing that you're like sitting in this um you know you're sitting in this neediness and you know your the, your vulnerability all of your wounds being completely activated and you really being vulnerable to their abuse so when we kind of go through this cycle and complete the cycle and the phase phases for the first time we we really don't understand most of the time we don't understand what we've experienced now I remember for years saying I just want things to go back to the way they were when I was first in the relationship. Like I said that to him, I said it to my therapist, I said it to my friends and my family, I would say to everyone. And, you know, no one really understood or could give me any advice on why I was feeling like that. And I think uh, this is why I'm so passionate about teaching it now. It's because when you understand the cycle and you're understanding the abuse patterns, you understand that what you were, you know, what you're craving, what you're wanting to experience again isn't really what love was. It, it's you're actually just wanting that high of that relationship like what it was at the beginning. And, you know, it's it's really painful to come to terms with that, you know, while, you, you know, I, I never doubted that to for an, to an extent what I felt in that relationship was real like I've had to come to terms and make peace with you know what that was but you know there is a level of betrayal and you know real grief and sadness around recognizing well you know a part of that was that they were a con man that they were bringing you know everything out you know to to basically hook you into the relationship to get you to a point where when you really saw who they were that you'd find it hard to leave because you've created this um you've created this association with this person well things can be so amazing but you know currently you're experiencing the discard or the devaluation and so there's this disconnect between those two sides of that person you know the amazing side and the really negative and abusive side and we can't reconcile or understand that this is because of the abuse and the way in which they need to have someone hooked in right so what will also happen if the attention was not good enough or if you threatened their very fragile false self which I've briefly mentioned before they will seek out punishment. Now, they may, you know, consciously or unconsciously punish you, whether that's through verbal or physical abuse um, or more manipulative psychopathic abuse as well, like, you know, giving you the cold shoulder, ghosting, you know, triangulation, um, you know, any really psychological abuse where you're really getting confused about the situations and there's a lot of drama. There may be other people involved. Um you know, it's it's really like a game to them, unfortunately. And something that's really important to understand as well is when we're dealing with a narcissist, unfortunately, all they ever saw you as was supply. You know, they saw you as the person that they could get love and attention from. And, and that's what they're seeking out from people because they're not able to, they're not able to, you know, 
have they're not a source of their own love and attention if that makes sense they're 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 needing that externally from outside of themselves so they're constantly on the lookout for the next new shiny toy the next person that they're going to be fascinated and idolizing to get that love and attention from so when we kind of stop seeing them for who we thought they were and we start to see this unveiling and this unmasking of who they really are, we're not idolizing them in that way, which is something that they need. And so this is where that traditional understanding of narcissism and um, you know having a really big ego and being really full of themselves comes into play. Now, obviously, we experience... Um, many more deeper layers of uh, someone with a pathology and the patho- you know, the personality disorder. But that is basically what happens in a relationship and we're going through these phases over and over and over again, depending on obviously how long you're in the relationship for. So it's really important that we start to recognise these cycles And we can start to track how long they are, what behaviors are presenting, what, you know, key phrases they're using. You'll find that there'll be a lot of similar stories and repetitive patterns of behavior that will come up, whether that's addictions or, you know, stories, you know, issues that present that you're constantly trying to reconcile and work out and they're just completely turning a blind eye to it. They don't want to deal with it. In many cases, they don't like confrontation or if they do like confrontation, it's really met with a lot of anger and resentment and aggression. Um, I've really, you know, seen and heard, you know, the opposites um, of the way in which narcissists can behave. Not all of them are going to be verbally or physically aggressive. Some are much more emotionally and psychologically abusive and they may not go down that path of anger and aggression so much. But nonetheless, both are obviously very abusive. So if the narcissist feels like they've lost all interest in you, then they will kind of already be on the lookout for new supply. Now, it's really important when you're in the dating phase of a new relationship to be looking at or, you know, be asking that other person a little bit about their previous relationships. And it's not about interrogating or kind of going down that rabbit hole the way that, you know, narcissists obviously do, but really being consciously aware of someone's relationship behaviors and previous relationships, because, you know, if you're... If you're learning that, well, they have this pattern of going from one relationship to the next, never having a break in between, or even there being this overlap, um, which was in the case of my ex, overlapping relationships, kind of transitioning whilst we're in one out of the other, then we actually start to, again, see the true colours of their behaviour. And that'll be a big indicator as to there being an issue like you know it being a red flag I don't want to classify that and say everyone's a narcissist who does that but I truly believe that a person's you know past um, behavior is going to be a really great indicator for their present and future behavior and um, you know through my own personal experiences I can 100% you know attest to that that 
that concept. It was definitely what played out when I first met him, what was coming up during the relationship and the way in which it ended um, and, and, you know, the hoovering and things that, that obviously came up constantly. And that's what I wanted to mention that will happen um, also in this discarding phase of the cycle. Um, if you break up for a period of time, you think it's all over, you're kind of going through the grieving process, you think that's it, you're trying to move on and, and feel all your emotions and, you know, like mentally go through that process of breaking up, then all of a sudden you hear from the narcissist. You're getting those, you know, those long phone calls or messages, um, you know, apologies and stories about how much they miss you and how they want to change or that they will change and that they're seeing a psychologist, that they're getting help, that they're going to do what you want them to do, that, you know, they're making all these fake or false promises that we, we think are real because they are trying to hook you back into the relationship. So if they haven't got new supply or they, you know, they feel like there's a lot more emotional supply that they can get out of you, they will hook back in and hoover you back in. So they will suck you back in. They will contact you. And so if you're not going no contact at the end of a relationship or when you decide that you've had enough, you are going to be much more susceptible to being hooked in and starting that cycle of abuse again. So um, in a future episode, like I, um, I will be talking about my experiences with going no contact. I failed many times and there were a number of reasons for that, which I will detail in that episode and really give you some great tools and tips as to how to navigate that and to stay no contact I've been no contact, which I think I might have mentioned on another episode prior, but about 20 months now. So not quite two years, but there have been many things um, that have worked for me and that helped me um, finally, you know, stay no contact that I'm, you know, I'll be sharing with you in a future episode. But it's really important that you get yourself to a point where you're ready and and making a no contact plan is Again, another really great tip. I've actually got a resource coming out very soon for you um, that will basically be a guide for you to use um, and, and create some structure around going no contact because those first one to three months are going to be challenging depending on how addictive and toxic the relationship was, how long you were in it for, um, and you know, what kind of contact, if any, you still actually have to have with that person. I know it's not always so clear cut to just completely go no contact. So, um, you know, you've got to be really mindful of that too, but I think there are many things that you can do to minimize, um, that communication and separate the person of who you thought they were with the behaviors that are actually being presented. And that is why, understanding narcissism and the personality disorder and the behaviors that present are really important not to get fixated in looking out for that in every person that you meet but to be really consciously aware when um, these behaviors do present and knowing how to kind of uh, consciously choose not to go down those paths of being in a new relationship with another narcissist.
So some ideas about, you know, why we get addicted to the narcissist is, and, and the idea of this, you know, I hear it all the time from women, oh, well, we're soulmates or there was such chemistry, there was just so much magnetic energy, you know, that I know for myself was really, really confusing and hard to understand. But from from my experiences and the way that I see all of this now is that the reason why there's such a magnetic, you know, chemistry is that we we kind of have these woundings, right? We have these fears, these traumas, these things we've experienced in childhood and we're coming together and there is this charge because, you know, generally whether, you know, generally we have a fear of abandonment and rejection. So we have an anxious type of relationship attachment. So there's some great resources on this theory of relationship attachments. Um, I won't go into too much now, but basically the narcissist will generally be um, fearful of being too close, being smothered, being like not able, not able to have freedom. And so when we're looking to, when we're worried about someone leaving us, we're trying to pull them in closer. And the minute that we're trying to pull them in closer, they're starting to feel like they're being smothered. And so they're going to pull away. Now, this push-pull energy is what's giving that charge, and that is why we're experiencing this chemistry. And at the beginning of the relationship, before there are any real problems, where we're not, you know, we're thinking that this chemistry is what romantic love is supposed to feel like, and that also comes from societal conditioning and what we've grown up watching in Disney movies or you know fairy tales and and all of those societal kind of stories that tell us that we need to be rescued by Prince Charming. Now, we also go on this emotional roller coaster as we know that these three phases of the cycle we're going through constantly. We've got, we've got, we're experiencing these highs and then we're experiencing the lows and then we're experiencing the highs and then we're experiencing those lows again. And we're going up and down constantly and our body actually starts to physiologically get addicted to that. So on a chemical and cellular level, we're, we're experiencing this addiction. And that is something that is really hard to break. Again, depending on how toxic and, um, you know, how much we our, our wounding was affected, like how our core wounds, how much they were activated. Um, for me, you know, it was huge and obviously being a massive catalyst for me, um, you know, going through my healing and recovery journey and being able to teach and help other women now. Another thing that we try and do is we're mostly unconsciously, we're trying to save the narcissist from their own pain and as a way of not making them deal with their own pain you know we as empaths we can really feel their pain um you know empathy is the word it really actually means to suffer with others so we we are really good at feeling other people's pain to be in their shoes and to feel it with them um but what we don't understand that it's actually not our responsibility to to enable or stop someone else's pain and stop them from their journey of recovery and healing and dealing with their own wounding. 
Now, understanding more a little bit about us and the empath as being, you know, an empath, someone who's highly in tune with our emotions, who's sensitive, who feels other people's pain very strongly, as I've mentioned. We just want to love and heal and care and, and look after people. And, you know, the, the narcissist really is that emotional vampire, the energy sucker, the deeply wounded, you know, person who has unfortunately had to create a real false self around who they are or who they believe that they are because, you know, there may have been a lot of trauma, toxicity, dysfunction growing up for them where they really learnt to self-abandon to and, and, and believe that who they were fundamentally was not okay. And so their level of pain is like a black hole and they're constantly trying to fill that black hole. And they do that by sucking the energy and love from other people because they feel like, well, that's finally going to close up that pain and that, that hurt that they're feeling. Now, they will want to manipulate and control and have power over others to feel better about themselves. And that's really the difference between a narcissist and who we are. Like so many people, and I know I went through this as well, thinking, well, I must be the narcissist. I must be the one that's doing all of this stuff. But, you know, when we can recognize, well, we're not trying to manipulate or control or hurt people to make ourselves feel better. I know that when I tried to talk to my ex about issues and, and try and reconcile things, like I didn't feel great by bringing all this stuff up and making him feel bad that he wasn't, you know, able to kind of work on the relationship. You know, that was just as bad for me, like bringing that up. Like that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to spend the relationship, you know, arguing or trying to work on things. I wanted things to go well, but, you know, we've got to understand that a relationship is a two-way highway and, while we may be trying to work on things, if the other person isn't, like the relationship's not going to be flowing. And that that's really the cycle. So I hope that's made sense and has given you a little bit more of um, an insight into what you're actually experiencing and recognizing that this cycle is is kind of repeating itself over and over again. And... As the relationship progresses and things escalate, like I said, we'll kind of find ourselves going through this cycle much quicker. And for me, by the end, I was kind of going through this cycle with my ex, like within a day, we'd go through that idolization, devaluing and discarding. And that was partially because I was recognizing what was happening and, uh, you know, when even though things may have been going well, um, you know, my walls would come up much quicker. It was almost like, you know, intuitively my body knew that, you know, because I'd been through this cycle so many times, it could, I was almost being able to preempt the fact that things would get bad again and that, you know, he'd verbally abuse me or things would be said and then I would completely shut off and like kind of get scared and, and, and hide away from it all again because, um, you know, obviously the more that I got hurt and the more that my wounds were activated, the more painful it was, the more emotional I was, the more confused I felt. And, you know, I think for me in the end, um, I thought about this a lot while I was making the decision to leave the relationship. 
I kept thinking and people were asking me, you know, what is it going to take? Like, you know, people could see, obviously there was a lot of dysfunction or things weren't working, but you know, they obviously didn't have the understanding of the cycle of abuse and, and the fact that, you know, he was a narcissist, but you know, for me, I think in the end, it wasn't one particular thing that happened that kind of pushed me over the edge. Everyone's kind of got a different story. I've had many women kind of share different versions for themselves and have come to their own understandings. But for me, it was the fact that I just knew that I was going to get the same outcome over and over as the years went on. I knew that it was only going to, you know, go round and round. And this, um, this seeking of the relationship like it was at the beginning was a distant memory. It never, ever went back to that. We had some moments, but, you know, I was so hooked into seeing him and what I, you know, also projecting maybe onto him what I, who I thought he could be. You know, we get so blinded by the potential of who they can be that we don't recognise who they are actually showing up in that moment. And so I was really blinded by that. And I think many of us see the really good in people. We see what people are capable of. We, we recognize that and we just want to, we want them to be able to live up to that. But what we don't understand is that when someone's not ready, we can't be down in the trenches with them dealing with their pain, especially if they don't want to be. And so for me in the end, I had to recognize that I was experiencing this cycle and that if I continued in the relationship that I was going to get the same result every time and that the cycle just kept playing over and over and over. So really understanding the foundations of um, the abuse cycle is going to really help. Um, I've been working on a um, an ebook slash workbook that is actually going to be um, there to help give you self-awareness and and cultivate a really great understanding of your own experiences in your relationship, what you're currently dealing with if you're still in the relationship and that will hopefully get you to see things from a new perspective and recognize the cycle of abuse better. So when that's all ready and um, I'll be sharing more when that's ready to be launched um, but I'm very excited about that because it's going to go into more detail about the cycle of abuse and, like I said, really give you some great um, prompts that I've used for myself to help me recognize what I was going through. So thank you again so much for listening. Um, I do have a big favor to ask. Um, we've recently um, hit 21,000 downloads, which I'm very, very excited and proud of. I've got people from all of all around the world listening, which is amazing. And for me to be able to reach more people and to continue to help people all around the world, um, I would be so, so grateful if you could leave me a uh, review and rating of the podcast. Um, I believe the best way to do that is through the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes. You can leave me a review and rating there and that will help me to become more visible on podcast platforms as being someone, you know, who's, who's just talking about and, and helping with narcissistic abuse recovery. So I'll be oh so grateful for um, your support and feedback as always. I love hearing from you. I, I love getting emails from people and how 
um, the different episodes have resonated with you and how you've been able to move through your relationship and abuse and how to really you know continue on that recovery journey so once again thank you so much and I look forward to talking to you again soon bye